Hey, I want to ask you if you would to stand with me today. I'm excited today for a number of reasons, but one is that the Lord has walked with us through our study in the book of Revelation. And today we've come to the final words of the final chapter, the final book of God's Word. And I just want to invite you to read along with me the final words that we'll be looking into today. Revelation chapter 22, we're going to begin reading together at verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you today, grateful that you are our Savior and grateful that you're coming soon. I pray that today, God, you would stir our hearts in this place to love you more, to yield ourselves more fully to you than we have before. God, I pray for those who may be here today that have never yet surrendered their life to you, Jesus. That today the white flag would be hoisted over their lives as they say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, would you have your way for the glory of God and for the joy of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' good name. Church, let's worship him. Let's continue to think on his holiness, his greatness. And on his coming again. When we started this study in Revelation 26 weeks ago, it opens up in chapter 1 with Jesus himself walking in the middle of these golden lampstands, which are symbolic of his church. And there, Jesus is caring for his church and paying attention to, intending, and admonishing and encouraging and instructing his church. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he speaks directly to his churches and had wonderful messages that they needed and we needed to hear. In chapter 4, we were caught up to the very throne room of God there in heaven and this beautiful scene is described there. And the Bible says that in the next chapter, John says that God the Father on the throne was holding this scroll in his right hand and this scroll is sealed up with seven seals. That scroll, what's inside that scroll, is the title deed to all of creation. And John says that no one was found worthy in heaven or on earth to open that scroll and to break its seals. And John begins to weep because he begins to realize if nobody can break these seals and open the scroll, we're stuck. 
in our sin and in our sorrow and in our death. And he begins to weep. But then one of the elders spoke up and tells John, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is overcome and he's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And he turns and he doesn't see a lion, but he sees a lamb that looks like it's been slaughtered. But this lamb is standing. It's resurrected. It's Jesus, the lamb of God. And Jesus takes the scroll from the right hand of his father. And in chapters six and on, he begins to break each of those seals one at a time. And in so doing, the judgment and the wrath of God is being unleashed upon this earth in a seven year period of time that we call the seven years of tribulation and the seven seal judgments morph into what are the seven trumpet judgments and the seven trumpet judgments eventually morph into what's called the seven bowl judgments. And along the way, throughout those seven years, we're introduced to key characters of the tribulation. We're introduced to the 144,000 Jewish missionaries that God preserves and he protects and they are the people who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. We're also introduced, of course, to Satan and to his demonic host who are going to be working at a feverish pitch, a fast and furious rate over those seven years. We're introduced to God's two witnesses who are standing in Jerusalem and they're preaching the gospel. And because they are, they're killed because of that. Their bodies lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three days. The Bible says the eyes of the world are on them. And after that third day, God raises those two witnesses back up in a display of His power and His glory. We're also introduced to a global, political, demonic leader that we know as the Antichrist, and he is supported by a religious companion known as the false prophet who's going to inspire the whole world to give their worship, to give their allegiance to the Antichrist. And these seven years of tribulation are finally brought to an end at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He returns and He conquers Satan and his armies and He casts Satan into the abyss where he's bound up for a thousand years. And Jesus rules and reigns on this earth for those thousand years. And at the end of those thousand years, He releases Satan out of the pit. Satan leads one last great rebellion against God and His people and Jesus crushes that and sends Satan into the lake of fire. And then this created world is rolled up like a scroll. And behold, he makes all things new. Jesus then makes a new heaven and a new earth. And the capital city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven like a bride prepared for her groom. And we're given new bodies to live in a real body on a real earth in a real creation for all of eternity. And that brings us today to these final words of the final chapter of the final book of God's Word. And with these words, the canon of Scripture is closed. Nothing is added now to the Word of God. And so these words are significant, right? In that way, because they're last words. Now listen, they're no more important than any other words in Scripture. They're no more inspired than the rest of Scripture is inspired by God. But they do get our attention because they are final words in a final chapter, in the final book of God's Word. And within these final words, there's two things, just two things today that I want you to see. You can jot these down if you'd like. Number one is this. We're going to hear a final prayer for Jesus to come. A final prayer for Jesus to come. And then secondly, we're going to hear a final plea to come to Jesus. See the difference? We're going to hear 
a final prayer for Jesus to come, and we're going to hear a final plea to come to Jesus. Now, first, I want us to look at that final prayer for Jesus to come. Look with me in verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. This prayer that's being prayed for Jesus to come is being prayed by the Spirit and by the bride or the people of God. That would be you today. If you've surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, you're in that number. The Spirit of God and the people of God are praying to Jesus to come. Why? Why, why are the people of God? Let's start with that. Why are the people of God praying this final prayer? Well, since most of us in this room what I think claim to be followers of Jesus, I think we probably know the answer to that question, don't we? We want Jesus to come because, quite frankly, I'm tired of this sin-filled body. I'm tired of the temptation of sin in my life. I'm tired of living in the midst of a world that's filled with sin and sorrow and brokenness. We, the people of God, we want Jesus to come, right? Because we're tired. We're weary. We're broken. Sin and its consequences and its pain is it feels like at times grinding us down to dust, not to mention just the everyday pressures of the world that somehow now seem to be compounded and amplified in the year 2020 of our Lord. But it's not just that. That's not the only reason that we pray for Jesus to come. We're not just escapists. We're also, as God's people, praying for Jesus to come because the more we get to know Him, the more we long for Him. The better we get to know Him, the more we want to know Him. The closer we draw near to Him, the closer we want to draw near to Him. And the closest we could possibly draw near to Him is for Him to come and let us be with Him. And so the bride and the people of God are praying this final prayer for Jesus to come. And look, pay attention, it's not a fancy prayer. Some of you are intimidated to pray. You think you don't know a whole lot of words. You only need one. Come. Look, I got to tell you, I don't think there's a prayer that's ever been prayed that delights the heart of Jesus as much as that prayer. It's not a prayer for provision. It's a prayer for the presence of Jesus. It's not Jesus, I want what your hand can give me. It's Jesus, I want to see your face. It's a, it's a cry of desperation and a realization that Jesus, only you can satisfy. Nothing apart from you is enough. And so, Jesus, I want you to come. And so, to those of you today that are worn out and you're weary, and we would probably all, to some degree, fall into those categories, and you just can't find the words to pray, you can go with that word. Come. Come. Lord Jesus, that's enough. One final prayer for Jesus to come. I know why I'm praying that prayer. I, I suspect I know why I'm, a lot of y'all are praying that prayer. But why is the Holy Spirit also praying that prayer? You see, the Spirit and the bride are praying this. Why is the Spirit praying for Jesus to come? Well, first of all, let me say this. Do not be surprised that the Spirit prays. Why would that surprise us? Prayer is just talking to God, right? As we read the Gospels, we see the Son of God, Jesus. He's praying often. Why would we think that the Spirit of God also does not pray? And by the way, not only does He pray, but let me tell you this. He's always praying for you. Think about that. 
how would you like to know that somebody always is thinking about you? That somebody's always praying for you? I would like to tell you that you have a pastor that is that person. I cannot tell you that. <laughs> I am not always thinking about you. I'm not always praying for you. I think you can understand the limitations, right, to my humanity. But the Holy Spirit is not a man like us, praise the Lord. And He's always thinking about the sons and the daughters of God. And He's always, Greg, even praying for us, even when we don't even know how to pray for ourselves. You ever been so tired and worn out and so weary that you didn't even know how to pray? Couldn't even find the energy or the strength to pray. Feel like your prayers aren't getting any higher than the ceiling. Well, rest assured, there is one who is going to the throne room of God on your behalf. He knows exactly where to go. He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly what the will and the purpose of God is. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Anybody in the room today just know a little something about weakness? Hey, news flash, we got help. Amen? We got help. He helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes or prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit, He says it again, intercedes or prays for the saints. That's us, according to the will of God, the Spirit of God knows exactly what to pray for the people of God. And you know what the result of that is? It's verse 28. And so we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's praying it. Well, I mean, we like to put that verse on our coffee mug, but we have forgotten what brings us to that verse. It is the Holy Spirit of God Himself praying for us. We can stand on the truth of God's Word, stand on the truth that the Holy Spirit's praying for us, and say, I know, I'm tired right now, I'm broken right now, I'm weary right now, I don't know where this path is going to take me, but I know all things are going to work together for my good, because He loves me, and the Spirit of God is praying God's will for my life. Some of you have been staying up, pacing the floors at night. Go to bed. <laughs> Go to sleep. Somebody's praying through the night for you. And not just willy-nilly prayers, but I mean heat-seeking, locked-in-on-the-will-of-God kind of prayers for you. And you're not going to miss it. You're not going to mess it up. You're not that big. God is that big. God is that sovereign. He's going to work all things together for good for those who are His, who are called according to His purpose. So yes, the Holy Spirit prays. Well established, right? But why is He praying for Jesus to come? Well, well for one, I think the Holy Spirit's praying for Jesus to come because He's been putting up with us for a long time. He's been striving with sinners since sin came into the world back in Genesis chapter 3. Think about that. For the billions and billions and billions of people that have ever lived, the Holy Spirit's wrestled with every single one of them. Tried to open their eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and that salvation is available through Him. But all of that time, you know what mankind has done to the Holy Spirit? We've grieved Him. We've quenched Him. Many have even blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So I think that's part of why the Holy Spirit's praying for Jesus to come. 
But there's another reason. And it's this. What does the Holy Spirit love to do more than anything else? He loves to exalt Jesus. He loves to magnify Jesus. He loves to lift up Jesus. He loves to glorify Jesus. And what better way for Jesus to be glorified, right? What better way for Jesus to be lifted up? What greater way for Jesus to be magnified before the eyes of human beings than for Jesus Christ to come? That's why the Holy Spirit is praying for Jesus to come. So that's the final plea for Jesus to come from the Spirit and the Bride. But now I want us to see the final plea to come to Jesus. And let me say this. If you're here today and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus, this word's for you. If there's any doubt in your mind today of whether or not you have yielded your life in salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ today, this, God's brought us all the way through this study of Revelation to have a talk with you today. Wherever you may be watching with us right now, you're listening and the, you've never trusted Christ to save you. This, this word's for you. We come to the final plea. Isn't it just like God? That before he closes his word, he issues one final plea to sinners to find salvation in Christ alone. Verse 17 says, and it continues, Let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now look, the first half of verse 17 is a prayer, right? Come. The second half of verse 17 is a plea. The plea is, sinners, come to Jesus. First it says, let the one who hears say come. This is an interpreting, interpretive challenge here, but... I, I think that this is referencing a person who is dead in their sin. But, but by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is speaking and awakening them. They hear. They're given ears to hear. And that hearing produces saving faith. And so it says, let those that now are being saved join with that prayer. Lord Jesus, come. But then it says, and here's where we get to the plea. Let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's the plea. Hear the Spirit calling you today. You, you have a soul that's thirsty. You've looked for everything in this world to satisfy. You've looked for peace and joy and contentment and hope and all these other places. And you've yet to find it. Your soul is thirsty. Come. That's the plea. There's life for your soul. Come to Jesus. You come to Jesus for this life, and it doesn't cost you. Notice it says it's without price. That means it doesn't cost you, but it costs Jesus. He laid down his life to offer you this plea. He laid down this life to offer you this life and this salvation. And maybe in this room or wherever you may be today, you're aware I've never trusted Jesus. I've never raised the white flag over my life and said, Jesus... I'm yours. Save me. If he were to split the world today into two groups, the saved and the lost, where would you be? And maybe today somebody 
here or somebody watching through technology. Maybe you would at least be willing to consider Jesus today. Would you at least be willing to give him some consideration, at least be willing to give him some thought? Should he be the person that you surrender your life to? Should he be the person that you put all the chips into? Should he be the person that you trust alone to make you right with God? I want to give you four reasons today that I think you should trust Christ. I want to give you four reasons today why you should raise the white flag and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. All I'm asking you to do today is to consider Him. I can't make that decision for you. I wish that I could. But I can't. I'm just asking you to consider Him. And I'm going to give you four reasons why I pray today you would really, truly consider Jesus Number one is this, there is no other person like him. There is no other person like him. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning. Listen, we know that everything that begins to exist has a cause, right? The reason you exist has a cause. The reason you're sitting in a chair that exists is that chair has a cause. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Nothing just pops into existence out of nothingness. Everything has a beginning. Jesus is that beginning. Everything proceeds from Jesus. Everything, everything. Look at, look at this. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Listen, lock in, kids. Here we go. For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created. That's a big statement, right? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here's a big statement for the United States today. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And for him. You might say, but Pastor Joel, you said that all things that begin to exist have a cause. So what caused Jesus? You're right. I said everything that begins to exist has a cause. Jesus didn't begin to exist. He is the beginning. He is the uncaused cause of everything that exists in this world. That means there's no other like him. This is why I'm pleading with you to consider Jesus today. There is none other like him. He alone stands outside of time and space and matter. He alone, with just his spoken voice, the spoken word, spoke time and space and matter into existence. There is none other like Jesus. And he is pleading with you today. Trust him. Hoist the white flag. Give whatever time you have left on this planet to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other like him. But listen, not only is there no other like him because he's the beginning, he's also the end. Uh, it's one of those laws of thermodynamics. I don't know, second or third. Everything's winding down. Everything's, everything's headed toward an end. Everything's running out of energy except Jesus. He is 
the end. All things find their beginning in him. All things find their end in him. But you don't have to find your end in him. You can find a new beginning in him that brings you to eternal life. If you would consider him today and turn, repent of your sin and trust Jesus to save you, he'll do that. He said in John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not come to an end, would not perish, would not spend eternity separated from God, but would have everlasting life. I'm excited, but there was also a fly on my pulpit. You know, the devil knows what just to send you away to distract you. To an ADHD, ADDHD, double D, whatever, pastor, all it takes is a fly. I ain't kidding you. In the previous service, it wasn't a fly. It was a gnat. They're getting bigger. I'm going to have locusts by the time the 11 o'clock service gets here. I'm not kidding. It's true. Verse 16, look at this. Jesus is speaking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. In other words, this is Jesus himself sending this message. Be saved, to trust him, to come to him. He's calling you. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I'd like to spend a whole sermon on that, but I don't have time to do that. I can just tell you this, that, that statement is dripping with promises fulfilled. That statement is dripping with prophecies that are fulfilled. Jesus is simply saying, I'm pleading you to come to me because there is no other like me. I'm the beginning, and I'm the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the fulfillment of every promise in my word. I'm the fulfillment of every prophecy in my word. There is none other like him, and he is pleading with you to come to him today. Would you consider him? But there's another reason you ought to consider coming to faith in Christ today, and it's this. Not only is there no other person like him, but secondly, there's no other way to heaven but through him. There's no other way. To heaven, but through him. Verse 14, look at this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by its gates. If you were a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the holy city, New Jerusalem. To get into that city, you've got to be clean, holy, righteous. Verse 15, outside are those that are not. The dog, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. To come into the city of God, to come into this place called heaven, your robe or your life has to be clean. And listen, you cannot clean it. You can't clean your life and make yourself acceptable before God. In fact, the more you try to clean your life, the worse a mess you make. We were with some friends last night, and the friend that got there last got there last because she had been helping somebody clean their home, the person she was helping has not been able to, to do that in quite some time. She was telling us how tired she was, and she told us that she had been wiping down walls. And after a while, she realized that she looked at a section of the wall that the wall that she was cleaning had only become dirtier because a rag had become just that filthy. And let me tell you why none of us can clean ourselves and make us right before God. The Bible says even the best things that you do are just filthy rags before a holy God. All you got to try to make yourself clean before a holy God is filthy rags. And all you're going to do in your self-reliance and in your pride and your arrogance is even sin more against a holy God. 
He is the only way to heaven. You cannot clean yourself for Him. He says this in 1 John, same John that he reveals this to in Revelation. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to say it, to cleanse us. There's no filth within Him. There's no sin in Him. He alone can cleanse the vilest sinner. I'm here as a living witness, as a living testimony. There is no sin that is too grungy, too dirty, too nasty, too deep for Him to cleanse and forgive. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Listen, would you consider Him today? He's pleading with you. You know if you've been listening to me, I could be all wrong, but I am convinced our time is running out. And I'm asking you, would you consider Jesus today? I'm telling you, there's no, no other person like him. There's no other way to heaven but through him. I'm going to give you a third reason I pray you'd consider him today. Number three is this, there's no other to fear but him. Some of you are afraid. Man, if I, if I go down to the front of that church today and ask that pastor to pray for me to be saved, I'm, I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be embarrassed. People are going to be looking at me. I'm afraid of that. Some of you walked in the doors today for the first time, and that just scares the, the stew out of you to think about that. You're afraid of that. You know, some of you have been walking through the doors for decades, and you need to give your life to Christ today. Some of you are church members, and you're not saved. You're religious, but you've never been born again, never been regenerated. There's no supernatural life living inside of you. You just keep cleaning, but you're not clean. And you know you need to be saved, but you're scared. Because what are they going to think? Because you've been a church member for 30 years. Are you teaching a Sunday school class? Are you a deacon? Are you on staff? you got nobody to fear but Jesus. Look at verse 18. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Listen, God is not a God that you ought to think you can contend with him. God is not a God that you ought to think you can go toe-to-toe with him and have an argument with him. You ought to be fearing the Lord. And if you're not, you're a fool. If you're afraid to give your life to Jesus today, if that fear of man is greater than your fear of Jesus, that's foolishness. If you want the wrath of God in your life, just mess with the word of God. That's what he just said. But we could also just as easily say, if you want to experience the wrath of God in your life, just reject the Son of God. Are you going to reject the Son of God because you're afraid? You're afraid of your reputation? You're afraid? I mean, eternity, heaven and hell are on the line. And you're going to sit there in your pride and in your fear? You're going to sit there in your home or at your workplace or where you're on vacation or wherever you may be? No, I just, I can't, I can't, I, in my heart I'll do it, but I'm not going to profess it with my mouth because what are people going to think? Well, Jesus said you've got to profess it with your mouth. It's a personal relationship, but it's not a private relationship. If you don't go public, you don't have it. Say, but I'm afraid. The only one you need to fear. It's Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, and do not fear those who kill the body. We can say, do not fear those who would make fun. Do not fear those who would talk about you. Do not fear those who are going to gossip about you. Do not fear those who go, oh, Lord, are you talking about so-and-so? Don't fear those. And don't even fear those who might take out a gun or a knife or a sword to kill you. 
Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm pleading with you today. Consider Jesus. Think about it. Think about raising the white flag over your life today before the Lord Jesus. Why? Because there is no other person like him. There is no other way to heaven but him. There is none other to fear but him. I'm going to tell you one last reason. You ought to consider Jesus today. There's no other to hope in but him. You will find no hope in anybody else. Verse 20, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. I don't know what you've been hoping in. Some of you have been hoping in the current president of the United States. Some of you are hoping in the next president of the United States, whoever that may be. Some of you may be hoping in your job, your, your success, your income, your stuff. Listen, all that's coming to an end. All of it. All of that's just kindling in the fires of God's wrath. Maybe you've been thinking you can fix yourself. You've been thinking with a little bit of willpower and a little bit of religion thrown in. Forget the white flag. I'll just kind of, you know, put it on the pole, but I'm not going to hoist it up. But that, that will be enough with a little bit of willpower. I'll get everything handled. That's futile. We're helpless to fix ourselves. We're helpless if we're putting our hope in anything in this world to make things right. Only the Creator Himself can restore this creation it's intended state. And here's the good news. He's on his way. He's on his way and he's going to make all things new. I was talking to Rick Jones earlier. New bodies on the way, y'all. Some of y'all so packed full of hardware. <laughs> Next body that's coming, no assembly required. Right? He's coming. That's not my opinion. You say, Pastor, I've been hearing you preach this book, and you seem pretty convinced Jesus is coming soon. You know why I'm convinced? Not because of what's going on in the world. I, I, I may be totally misreading a lot of what I'm seeing in the world, but I know I'm not misreading the next line in Scripture. I know I'm not misreading the next line in Scripture. You say, Pastor, why do you think he's coming soon? Because he says so. Look at the next line, the end of verse 20 here. Surely I am coming soon. Now, soon meant soon 2,000 years ago. How much more does soon mean soon now? Today, the Spirit and the Bride are praying one final prayer. And today, Jesus is offering one final plea. Trust me. Trust me. Be saved. Would you consider him today? I can't tell you clearly enough that there is no other like him. There is no other way to heaven but through him. There's none other to put your hope in but Him. There is none other to fear but Him. How many of you believe that today? 
Hey, if you believe that, can I ask you just to stand if you can to your feet? If you can't stand to your feet, you stand in your heart. I get that. You say, I've trusted Christ. Pastor, the white flag of surrender is waving over my life. I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price. I'm his. I'm a blank check before him. My hands are open before the Lord. I've trusted Christ to be my Savior, my Lord. If you have, then I want to invite you to read these closing words of God's Word. The final four words of verse 20 and then verse 21. Let's read together. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Listen, if you've not trusted Christ to be Savior and Lord, would you do that today? Don't wait. Wherever you may be watching this message right now, would you trust Christ to save you today? And then the thing is, you've got to tell somebody. That's the next step. You can tell me in this room. You can come here and we'll pray together. I'll, if you're concerned, I'll cover my mouth and my nose while we talk. Whatever you need me to do, there's not anything that's going to stop me from having the privilege of seeing somebody join their lives to Jesus. You tell me what it's going to take right here, and I'll do it, okay? For God's glory, for the sake of your soul, I'll do it. Wherever you may be out there today, you need to tell somebody. You need to let us know we want to help you. Would you consider giving your life to Jesus today? There's a whole bunch of you in here. I know you're right with the Lord, but listen, if, if you believe like I do that we're running out of time, this is a message that you need to be sharing. And I don't mean copy and copy the link into your social media. It doesn't have to be this church service, but this message of the hope that we have in Jesus, you need to be sharing it. These days, our days are few. Not just because I'm convinced Jesus is coming, but I, I'm still kind of a young man, and I've buried a lot of friends this year, my age. We're not promised another breath. What are you going to do with Jesus? I am begging you to consider him today. And I've told you from God's word why you should. So, Holy Spirit, we bow, asking you to draw sinners to be saved today in this room and in rooms wherever people may find themselves today would there be an eruption of salvation in the land stir our hearts today Jesus that we would be messengers and ambassadors for you in this world we easily hoist the flags of our teams and our political parties but those things must come down and only the banner of the Lord Jesus can fly supremely over our lives there's no other name under heaven by which we're saved when you stand before God one day and he says why should I let you into my heaven forever, you're not going to say, well, Pastor Joel was my pastor. You're not going to say, because Meemaw was a praying woman. 
Not, you're not going to say, I, I watched a Billy Graham special. In fact, I watched him every time he was on TV back in those days. The Bible's clear. There's only one name under heaven by which we're saved. Jesus. When God says, why should I let you in my heaven forever? My one prayer becomes one answer. One word. Jesus. That name is all you need. Come on, church, let's worship the Lord. And let's respond to Jesus pleading with us to come to him today. I'm standing right here. You tell me what I got to do to help you know that you know Jesus today. I got nowhere to go. Nothing else I want to do. Nothing. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? All the world can come to Him to have their sins removed. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Son of God and one of us, lover of our souls. Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Eternal King, you reign forever, and we will sing the glory of your name. Be lifted high for all the world to see, your name is all they need, your name is all we Your name is 
all we need. There is freedom in the name. There's healing in the name. There is power in the name. Salvation in the name. There is life in the name. There is no other name but Jesus, Jesus. There is freedom in the name. There's healing in the name. There is power in the name. Salvation in the name. There's life. There is life in the name. There is no other name but Jesus, Jesus. There is freedom in the name. There's healing in the name. There is power in the name. Salvation in the name. There is life in the name. Jesus, come. That's all. Just come. In your name we pray. God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, uh, have y'all noticed every time new people or old people come back to Grace Life after all this time, the atmosphere just gets sweeter and richer and there's something special, right, when the body of Christ comes together. So, Bria's and Sellers and other faces that I'm seeing today, thank y'all. Thank y'all for just bringing Christ in you in here with us today. I know it's been a long wait for y'all. Everybody in this room can remember what it was like to come that first time, and it's a pretty special thing. And so I pray that, and I know there's others first in here today. I'll get in trouble for not calling everybody out, but... I pray your heart is full and overflowing today. Great day. Listen, if you've come from Bible study into here, enjoy your lunch. If you haven't gone to Bible study yet, I'd go jump in somewhere. We'll help you. Let us know, all right? God bless you, everybody. We'll see you soon.